You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. If you got your Bibles, let's go to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3 is where we're going to land as you guys are going there. Uh, just a big thank you to my staff and uh, our team for putting together uh, Easter on the Field last week. Um, it's one thing to, you know, have an idea. Yeah. <clears throat> They did awesome. It's one thing to have an idea. Let's go on the field, man. It'd be awesome. And then it's another thing to actually put it together and do it. And, um, and so our, our team did an incredible job. And those of you guys that volunteered did an incredible job too. So it takes hundreds of people to make something like that work. And so I'm very thankful and, and just excited about how God has really grown our staff uh, here at FC. And uh, one of the ways that we're growing now is in our finance area, um, at least in our bookkeeping and, and uh, how that um, is, is handled. And so we're actually going to be hiring um, a new position uh, for somebody um, to be on our staff to uh, take care of books and that kind of stuff. So if you've got a finance degree, um, those kinds of things we're going to have um, uh, online. We're going to have some things for you guys to fill out and uh, find out more information on, on our website. So uh, excited about that. Also wanted to update you guys on just kind of the building and kind of where we're at as a church. Uh, so, so I've been working with four or five different banks right now, uh, figuring out how we're going to get funded and, and how that looks. And uh, so when we, we first got the loan for this building, um, nobody would give us a loan. And so uh, uh, Grace Baptist had to be kind of the guarantor on, on the loan, sign on the, on the line uh, for us. And, and so they did that. And so we're trying to get out and, and refinance that. And so it's kind of a complicated deal and not to bore you guys, uh, but I know there's some of you guys that are kind of interested in like what, what's going on. And, and that's still the phase we're in. And, and so it's complicated. And, and uh, working through that, we're working hard uh, to, to press through and excited about how God is going to work it out. So just continue to pray for us as we, as we dive into that and excited about um, just the future, how we're going to be able to uh, accomplish this vision that God has given to us. And so today um, I wanted to begin a series entitled The Word and, and talk for the next few weeks just about the Bible. Um, I think uh, in large part, uh, we've got a lot of different people and a lot of different um, wavelengths when it comes to, you know, their, their spiritual life and their spiritual maturity and, and their view of the Bible. And so I think it's really, really helpful for us to have this conversation and for us to look at God's word and, and really begin to identify why the Bible is important, you know, why we can trust it and, and talk about ways that it changes us. And so for the next few weeks, those are the questions that I wanna ask and hopefully answer from God's word and focus specifically today on, on can we really trust the Bible? Um, can we trust it for our lives? Can we trust it to be true for us? And, and spend some time really thinking about that. And, and so I realized that in a, in a, in a group this size, um, there are various different um, people and, and various different views of the Bible. I'm sure there's a group of people in this room uh, who would say, you know what, Trent, uh, for me, the Bible is just a bunch of made up stories. It's, it's just mythology, it's fables, and uh, there are errors and, and all kinds of contradictions. So it's not really relevant uh, or important to me. And so I know you guys are here and uh, glad you're here. Glad you're kind of checking out Christianity and, and um, I encourage you guys to continue to, to uh, check it out and seek. And 
I know there's another group of people that would say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, man. I think the Bible is, is probably an important deal. It's an important book, uh, but, but I don't read it and uh, probably not going to. Um, and uh, I'm just going to depend upon what other people tell me it means. And so there's that group of people. There's another group that probably says, I love God's word. I read God's word. I do God's word. I'm all about God's word. And so you're, you're excited. And, and this series is going to you know, just be an encouragement for you. And I still think there's yet another group. There's, there's probably a fourth group of people that would say, you know what, Trent? I believe the Bible is, is important um, and I'll read it occasionally. <laughs> Every now and then I, I read it, but I really want to read it and I really, I, I really think that I need to read it. And so I'm trying to figure out how, how to make that happen. Well, essentially, this series is, is for that group of people. This is for you. Um, when we did our Think series back in January, one of the, the top uh, habits that people wanted to begin uh, was to read the Bible. And so um, I know that group of people is here. And so this series is going to encourage you, um, hopefully challenge you, and uh, put you on um, some, some practical um, uh, steps to begin to do that. Um, and I also know that the reality for some of you is... I, I don't understand it, you know? You've said that before, you know, I, I would read the Bible more, Trent, but I just don't understand it. And man, I get that. I understand that, you know, we, you've, you've read it, you don't understand it. And so it's really hard to to want to go back to it and pick it up and, 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 and to dive back into it because you just start believing that I can't get it. I don't understand it. And so it's frustrating. And man, I totally get that. I, I took, uh, I was trying to catch up on some hours uh, in college one year. And so I took a philosophy class at UT and um, uh, one of the required readings of the class was a book by Plato called The Republic. Anybody read that thing? It is brutal, man. It is brutally painful to read. And I remember picking that thing up and not understanding anything that I was reading. I was 10 minutes into it. The next thing I know, I'm dead asleep. Two hours later, I'm like, what is going on? Until I had a friend that turned me on to Cliff Notes, you know? Remember those things? That was before the internet. So, you know, we needed those things. Those, those things were our friends. And so, I mean, seriously, that was the first hard book that I, that I had to skim. And so I so didn't read it. I definitely skimmed it. But um, I get that, you know, hard to read. I'm not going back to it. I don't want to read that thing. It doesn't make sense. But, but here's, what I'm, here's what I'm saying. What, what I'm saying is that this, this is no ordinary book. That in this book, we have the very words of our creator, God. In this book, there is freedom from sin. It tells us how to deal with the pain and suffering in our life. It tells us how to deal with our spouse. It tells us how to deal with relationships. It tells us how to deal with our money. This book contains the truth that changes everything. And so if you picked it up and you don't understand it, you can't let that stop you. You can't let that deter you. There's a word that we use to understand the Bible that, that the Spirit of God really does to us. And we say it, uh, the Spirit of God illuminates our mind. And basically, He opens up our mind, He opens up our heart to understand what we're reading. So the truth of it is, there are many things that we could read in this book and walk away and say, I, I just don't get that. And, and, and we can do that on, on several occasions. And that's why we've, we pray, God, help us to know your word, help us to experience your word. Because it truly is a work of the spirit of God that helps us to comprehend and understand what it is um, that, that he's teaching us. That's why the Bible says that the natural man, the person without the spirit of God in their life could, could never understand this book. 
That's why I'm not doing this series for the guy that doesn't believe this book is, is God's word because you know, I can't convince you. I, I, this is not an apologetic you know, uh, series where I'm trying to convince you that this is God's word. This series is for the man, for the woman, for the student that says, you know what? I believe this is God's word. I wanna read God's word. Bro, I'm just, I, I just can't get into it. Give me some help. And so today I wanna jump in by really affirming the fact that, that yes, we can trust this book as God's inspired word to us. And so if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, this is a verse that we're gonna run to over the next few weeks and really wanna focus on the, the first part of it, but let's go ahead and read 16 and 17, where it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Go back to verse 16. All scripture, everybody say all scripture. All scripture is God breathed. Now we all have breath in here today. Turn to the person sitting next to you and go, does my breath stink? It's like eyebrows are melting right now. It's like breath is so bad, people hang up on you when you come on the phone. It's like, it's bad, eyebrows are singeing. Some of you got coffee breath, we get all that. Like, like what you're hearing now is the breath of Trent. What we read in this book is the very breath of God. The Greek word for God breathed is theopneustos. And it means, it's made up of two words. The first word is theos, that means God. And, and neustos means breath or wind. And so it literally means that scripture is God Breathe, And so this is important. It's not that, that God breathed into something that man created and made it holy. It's not that. It's far greater than that. It actually means that God is breathing into existence his word. And so in written form, we have his words to us. So you're listening to the breath of Trent right now. As I'm talking, um, um, the, the breath is, is, is coming up over my vocal cords. As I say words, I am breathing and you are hearing. But in this book, the Bible, we have the very breath of God's word. The Bible says that God's word is God's very breath. In Psalm 119, it tells us that all your commands can be, can be trusted all your commands can be trusted. So here's the, here's the thing I like to do with my kids. I like to ask them questions that get them thinking about God and thinking about the Bible. And I remember uh, several years ago, I said, guys, you know, what are some things that God can't do? And they scratched their heads and they were like, well, dad, come on, God can do anything because he's God. You know, he can pick up a, he can pick up a mountain if he wants to. He can do whatever he wants to because he's God, he's all powerful. And I said, well, can God lie? Like, well, I mean, you know, he wouldn't, but he could if he wanted to. I thought, well, I mean, if God wanted to lie, would he really be perfect and would he really be God? Well, well, maybe, you know, he could be tempted to lie, but he, he, he never would lie. Well, I mean, seriously, if God could actually be tempted to sin, would he really be all powerful and all creator and, and perfect and and so we got this kind of messes with their heads and, and, and I love to do that. But at the end of the day, 
There are, there are a few things that God can't do, and one of them is he cannot lie. The Bible tells us that, that God cannot lie. If he could lie, then he would cease to be God. And so when, when the writers of this book say that this is the breath of God, you know, we read in the Old Testament, the prophets are saying, thus saith the Lord, this is what God's word is to us. And so they are writing what God is saying to them. When they are saying this, God is also saying in turn, this is my word. And God is also saying, I don't lie, I cannot lie. Therefore, we can trust everything that is written in God's word. But how do we really know? Well, here's some more scripture. Romans 3, 12 says that the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. So the New Testament is affirming that the Old Testament is the very words of God. And so we see that affirmed in New Testament, uh, uh, talking in reference to the Old Testament, that it is the very words of God. Jeremiah 1, 9 Another example, it says, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. So God is placing in the mouth of the writers, in the mouth of the prophets, his very word. It's not that these writers were, you know, super intelligent and smart, and that they just wrote something that was inspiring. That's not it at all. It is God actually moving and orchestrating in their life in such a way that they are writing exactly what God wanted them to write. It is his very word to us. That's why 2 Timothy 3.16 here can say that all scripture is God breathed. Not just 2 Timothy, but all scripture. Genesis to Revelation is God breathed. So how did that actually happen? How is God orchestrating this? 2 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, so, so these writers are being carried along by the Holy Spirit. Like God is, is, is breathing out his words into the writers and the writers are writing down. It's not like they, you know, they're not like taking dictation here that God is speaking audibly and they're like writing down as fast as they can. God, could you go back and say that again? You do what now? And then write. It's that God through the spirit is, is performing a miracle here. That God is, is directing the very, every single word that they are writing so how did they determine that these books were even um, inspired? How, how do we even get this book? Now, I really wrestled with whether or not to bring this up because this is a huge like, you know, course that we could go through today. And I know today is more like kind of a lecture, kind of teaching a lot of stuff, so hang with me. But, but I wanted to throw out some of these things that I thought would be helpful. You guys can go and, 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 and read on this stuff and look up some of this stuff that, that will encourage you. But, but there are a few tests that, in the early church and even understanding going all the way back to the Old Testament, how, how they decided or, or how they recognized what was an inspired uh, written word from God and what wasn't. And, and for the Old Testament, the first thing that they looked at was did, did the person writing say that it was God's word? I mean, that's kind of obvious, but if they don't say, hey, this is the, the very word of God, then it's not. So we, we don't have to you know, believe that. But in the Old Testament, we see that these men, they're saying that, that, hey, this is the very word of God. Just like Jeremiah, what we read, the very words of God being written um, um, through them. And so was it inspired by God? And so the next thing is, was it written by a prophet or somebody with the gift of prophecy? And so in the Old Testament, there are so many prophecies and, and you, were, you were proved to, to be a false prophet if you 
you said something would happen, if you said God was going to do something and then he didn't, you were, you were killed, you know, you were a false prophet. And so, so that was a very serious deal and, and we'll get into prophecy in just a moment. But, but next was it recognized by the Israelite people as a holy inspired text. And so when we see the Old Testament, it, it comes and, and, and follows every single one of those rules um, and, and many, many others that we could get into today. But suffice it to say that, yeah, we, we can be confident that this is God's word and that it, it doesn't have any errors in it. And, and we, can be, we, we can be certain that there are no contradictions. Now there are apparent contradictions. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about apparent contradictions where you'll read something in one passage and then you'll read something else. And then they're apparently, wait a minute, they're, they're talking about something different. And, and so, you know, there's obviously an error, but every single one of those apparent contradictions, when you understand the scriptures fully from, from um, Genesis to Revelation, you, can, you begin to understand how those things flesh out. And so we don't have to worry about that. In fact, even during the Old Testament times, there were other things that were written that people tried to get um, into the Bible. And so there are things called the apocryphal writings that everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people were saying, hey, this, this is scripture. This should be, you know, uh, uh, acknowledged and accepted as God's word, but it didn't pass the test. It didn't pass the theology test. There were too many, there were too many things uh, dealing with doctrine and theology that, that contradicted the other Old Testament writings. Um, there were many of them that, that didn't actually claim to be authored uh, by God or that, it, that they were inspired by God. And so it was, it was an easy, you know, thing to say, no, nah, that, doesn't, that, that doesn't get in. But uh, still, Roman Catholic Church accepts them even today as a inspired uh, text that they hold to be true. But the errors in the doctrine is, is, is clearly not um, in line with the rest of Scripture. What about the New Testament? There were similar tests for the New Testament Scriptures. And so was the book, they would, they would ask, is the book written by an apostle or was it written by a really close friend of an apostle? Because that was like rule number one, like it had to be written by somebody who was with Jesus or who was a really, really good friend of somebody that was with Jesus. And so uh, the gospel of Mark, Mark wasn't uh, with Jesus, but he was a close friend of Peter. And so he, he could use Peter as a source to um, write his gospel. The book of Luke was written by a doctor. He wasn't with Jesus, but he was a close, close friend of Paul. And Paul was with Jesus. So remember the Damascus Road, he encountered Jesus there. And so, so we see that taking place and, and, and we can see how that was honored. Another test that they went by was, uh, was it in line with doctrine, proper doctrine with the rest of the New Testament, with the rest of the um, uh, uh, text that, that was believed to be inspired. And so that was a big one. Was the book read and used by the early church? And so did the early church, were they meeting and reading these things that Paul had written in these other gospels? And the answer is yes, they were reading these. And, and even the second generation, which was another test, is the second generation of Christians. Okay, so all the apostles died, but what about their kids? And what about, you know, all these people that were coming up um, um, in the faith at that point? Did they recognize? And the answer is yeah, guys like Augustine and Origen and Polycarp. These are, these are first century Christians um, that recognize this text as holy and inspired by God. John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus is telling the disciples this. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the concept there is Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit's gonna bring to your remembrance everything that I've taught you, everything that I've shared with you and alluding to the fact that you're gonna write these things down eventually and it's going to become the very word of God that circulates and is held to be true in the church. At this time, there were also a lot of other 
letters and different things that were written that people wanted to include in the Bible. But again, they didn't pass the, 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 the test of, of even the, the first four things that I've just mentioned. Uh, so there are things that, uh, things written back at this, in, during the same time, like the Epistle of Barnabas, the Apocalypse of Peter, um, the Gospel of Nicodemus. These are all the, the, the writings that on the History Channel or the Discovery Channel, they're gonna say, why wasn't the Gospel of Nicodemus in the Bible? You know, is there something they didn't want us to know about Jesus? You know, it's like, no, idiot. They didn't even say that they were written by God, not to mention the fact that there's all kinds of doctrine in there that are completely against, you know, even just simple things like loving your neighbor, you know? And so it's just like totally not even a question by anybody uh, with any sense and any background um, in theology. And so obviously those things are out. Different people uh, over the years have, have written things and claimed that they have been inspired by God to write these things. Jonathan Smith, the creator of the Mormon cult, um, they have three different writings, the Book of Mormon and, and a couple others, Pearl of Great Press, that they say are equal to the Bible. They say are actually inspired words of God. And in those things, man, they are crazy. You know, have nothing to do with, with doctrines in, in Scripture. Um, the, the Jehovah's Witness movement, the cult, I mean, they, the, they have something that, um, that they believe is inspired as well called the Watchtower. And so we see that. Mary Baker Eddy, the creator of Christian Scientists, um, called, I mean, that all that she writes, uh, she claims to be inspired. And so, so these don't pass the, the test of what uh, is considered to be an authentic, inspired word from God. Not to mention that it's very clear in the Bible. The Bible actually says not to add anything, not to take anything away. See, in the Old Testament, God spoke to us through prophets. And so prophets are speaking, thus saith the Lord, and this is gonna happen, and, 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 and this is what God says. And so we have that written. Moses is writing these things. The prophets are writing these things. And so we, we, we understand them to be God's word to us. In the New Testament, we see apostles writing and friends of, of, of apostles writing what they experience. And so we hold that to be valid and we hold that to be trustworthy and to be God's word. But God is not speaking through prophets any longer. He's not speaking through apostles any longer. The scripture teaches that, that the, the, the Bible is closed. The canon of scripture, the canon is just a theological word that just means the rule or the standard is closed. It, it has been completed. There's, there's not gonna be anything else that can be added to it. There's nothing else that should, should be taken away from it. It's finished. God doesn't speak through apostles. He doesn't speak through prophets. That's not why. That's why I'm not like Apostle Trent or, you know, Prophet Trent today. You know, I'm just the guy that, that, that sees what God has inspired and I get the privilege to, to attempt to teach it uh, to you and to myself. And so, so we see that it's closed. The Bible even says this very clearly in Revelation 22, verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If you don't know the plagues that he's talking about, it's some pretty freaky stuff, all right? So, you know, don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it. it it's a closed book. And so God has spoken to us. Now listen, apart from Jesus and the Holy Spirit, this is the greatest thing God has ever done for us. I mean, in the first and second you know, first century, they, they didn't have the, the privilege of having this written down. I mean, the printing press wasn't even invented. And, and so they're, they're meticulously making copies of, of, the, the, of the scripture. And so it's just fascinating.
fascinating how over time um, it has been preserved. And, and so we could get into all that, but I, today I just wanna jump into to four quick areas that teach us the very importance of, of why we can trust the Bible. And so this is a conglomeration of things that I've learned over the years uh, from guys like John MacArthur and Rick Warren and John Piper. And so um, these are just uh, things that I, I think are helpful and things that I think um, help uh, prove the validity and accuracy of the Bible so that it allows us to have confidence and faith and trust in the Bible. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to our faith and trust that God is sovereign and that God, um, um, he, he allowed this to take place and he formed the very words that we have and we call the Bible. So here goes the, the, the four things that can help us trust the Bible. First of all, it's historically accurate. So the Bible is historically accurate. So, so how do we know the Bible is historically accurate? Well, we know it to be historically accurate just like we would judge any history book. Is it accurate to um, the facts that we know today? And so we go to things like eyewitnesses. Were there, were there eyewitnesses that were writing these accounts or was this written 203 and four and 500 years after Jesus? And so what we have in the New Testament is we have the actual eyewitnesses of what's taking place. People that actually saw Jesus killed, that actually lived with Jesus, that saw him uh, raised from the dead. And so they, uh, the Bible says that over 500 people saw him resurrected. And so these are, the, these are the men that are writing these words to us. And, and if it wasn't a direct eyewitness, it was a very close friend of a direct eyewitness. So historically we see and can have confidence there. Another very big piece of, of history and accuracy is just in archaeology. So if you know anything about archaeology, the things that we read in the Bible have actually been dug up and uncovered in um, that, those areas today. We can go to the Aragopagus where Paul was preaching. We can go to the Pool of Siloam where Jesus is healing. We can go to the temple where, where Jesus is. They know where these things are. They've dug up these cities. And so it's like historically, we can see that archaeology is very much proving everything that the Bible is teaching. It would be one thing if the Bible talked about something, um, a city or a place or a thing, and, and we didn't know where it was. And there were years where things hadn't been dug, dug up. And so uh, believers before us had faith that, yeah, these, these things are there. We just haven't found them yet. But today we've uncovered so much. It should give us so much faith in the, in the accuracy of God's word. This archaeology verifies uh, the, the accuracy of scripture, it gives credibility. When you read the book of Acts, you're, you're gonna read about uh, 54 different cities, 39 countries, nine different islands, all of them real places that we can see and go to today. Man, that should give us faith that yes, these, these, these things that are, were written in God's word historically is accurate. Secondly, the Bible is scientifically accurate. Now, this is awesome. Like the Bible's not written as a science book. It's not gonna use scientific language. But what's awesome about God's word is it never contradicts science. And so, I mean, obviously, if you believe it to be God's word, then obviously he's the creator of science. He's the creator of the universe and the natural order of how things work. So he's not gonna contradict the things that he's created. So that makes sense. But at the end of the day, it just for me, if this was written by, you know, human beings, flawed men and women that, that, that weren't inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, wouldn't you think that somewhere along the lines, they would mess up and say something that contradicts science? I mean, especially when you look at the prevailing scientific knowledge of that day and time. 
I mean, none of that stuff was, can be found in the Bible. And that blows me away. I mean, just think about our science books today. The science books that I used in high school, I ain't using them anymore, you know? Hey, it wasn't that long ago, by the way. But they're not using them anymore. Why? Because they've learned so much more. There's been so many things that's been, been learned. There have been so many things that have been disproven. You know, hey, we thought this was gonna work or this was happening, but we were way wrong. You know, they don't write about that stuff, do they? They just like erase it and move on and write new stuff. I mean, just go to your local drugstore this afternoon. What they said was gonna cure the common whatever disease you've got today, they're telling you not to use it, you know, today because it's gonna cause cancer. It like happens every year. Hey, take this, do this, this is gonna work. You know, six months, a year later, five years later, like, no, 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 don't take that. <laughs> you know, that'll kill you, man. And so it's like, you know, we're just hanging on for dear life. We don't know. We don't know. And so when we look at the Bible, one of the things, one of the biggest things for me is, is at this time when the, when the Bible was written, they believed that the earth was flat. It wasn't until Galileo and Columbus came along that they actually realized that the earth was circular and nowhere, you know, all throughout the scripture, there's not one single place that alludes to the fact that the earth is, is flat. And you would just think, man, if this is just written by just normal people, God's not involved, that they would have written something because that was just common knowledge. Everybody knew the earth was flat. Nobody was arguing against that. Not once in over 1600 years in which the book was written, does it ever give bad science. And so that's why, the Bible can say in Isaiah 40, verse 22, 2,600 years ago, by the way, 2,600 years ago, Isaiah is written, and the Bible can say this in chapter 40, verse 22. It is he, it is God, who sits above the circle of the earth. <laughs> Some translations translate that word circle as sphere. So 2,600 years ago, everybody believes the earth is flat. The Bible says, it's a circle, bro. <laughs> Hello? You know, I mean, this is amazing. Right? The Bible never contradicts science. And, and to me, that adds so much confidence when I look to the Bible. I'm not afraid of science. I'm not afraid of the Discovery Channel. Man, I love the Discovery Channel. The more they learn, the more confidence I have in my Savior. You know, the more encouragement, the more energy I have that this book is true and real and practical for my life. Thirdly, not only is it scientifically accurate, but number three, the Bible is prophetically accurate. This again blows me away. The predictions in the Bible always come true. When you read them, the Bible's filled with literally thousands and thousands of prophecies. Prophecies that we know have come true in secular history. You know, that's what blows us away. It's not just what we, what we see, you know, God saying something is gonna come true and then the Bible says it comes true. Secular history also said it happened. This is unbelievable prophecy in the Bible. There are over 300 prophecies about the Messiah, about Jesus coming. Um, and, and so over a thousand years before Jesus is born, so a thousand years before Jesus is born, 300, over 300 prophecies are written about this coming Messiah. Jesus fulfills every single one. Now, if you look that up, the probability of Jesus actually fulfilling those prophecies, it is so astronomical, it will blow your mind. Um, and, and so what, what mathematicians actually do is they don't go to the 300 plus, they just go to eight. And they figure out the probability of how just 
eight of these prophecies could be fulfilled in one man. And and, and it is mind-blowing how astronomical it, it, it is. Like no way could it ever happen. And yet in Jesus, we see every single one fulfilled. The Bible is prophetically accurate. And number four, the Bible is a unified story. It's a unified story. Now here's why this is incredible. There's one story being told from Genesis to Revelation. Now, a lot of people get this confused. They think that the Old Testament is about Israel and, and, and you know, the, the Jewish people. And obviously there's a, the, there's a great deal of, of their story in there. But from Genesis to Revelation, the story is unified in that it's God's redemptive plan unfolding to how we as a human race can enter into the family of God and be redeemed and go to heaven and live with him forever. I mean, from the beginning to the end, Jesus is not just in the New Testament. Jesus is all over the Old Testament. Everything, everything, everything in the Old Testament points to the Messiah, points to Jesus. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament has written. And so it's a unified story, which is incredible when you think of it in terms of this. The Bible was written over over the course of 1,600 years. 1,600 years, can, I, can't even, I, can't even, I can't even believe it's 2015, I, let alone can I comprehend 1,600 years by 40 different authors, three different continents, three different languages. They didn't know each other and yet they all tell one story. It's mind-blowing. Now think about it like this. Now, the, the, the Quran, the, the Islamic um, equivalent um, to the Bible is the Quran, And so, so that was written by one man, Muhammad. So obviously, unanimity and, and some form and, and a unified theme, it, you know, it's not gonna be mind-blowing to look at that and, 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 and to see that. The writings of Confucius um, all have, you know, uniform in, in, in one author. Yeah, I could tell this, but this was 40 different authors over 1,600 years. They didn't know each other. That is mind-blowing. And the only reason is because God ordained it. It is a sovereign God who is creating and originating the very breath of himself in written form. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 24, verse 27. Jesus sits down with with the disciples. He sits down in in the synagogue at one point and he says, says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. Wouldn't you have loved to be there that day? Like Jesus goes back to the Old Testament and he, he, he explains all these prophecies. He's like, see that one? Yeah, that one's about me. I was born there. This is how, how, how it went down, you know? And, 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 and here's my father. And, and here's where it all, all the dots get connected. All of the Bible is about Jesus it's from beginning to end. So it's one unified story. This, is, this, is, this book is incredible. And so, so when we think about it, we gotta, we gotta understand the value in what we have right here. Um, in 1799, uh, in North Carolina, a small town in North Carolina, uh, a young man uh, by the name of Conrad decided to skip church one day. True story, I watch the History Channel. Um, he decided to skip church one day and um, he went with his buddies to the creek to fish. Sounds like a good idea, right? Well, he goes to the creek and he sees this yellow rock 
in, in the creek. And later they, they found out that it weighed 17 pounds. And so he thought it was a pretty interesting deal. So he picks up this rock and, and he takes it home. Well, his, his uh, dad, John, he didn't understand what it was either, but he thought it was kind of cool looking. And so he decided to keep it. And um, because they didn't know what it was, he decided to use it as a doorstop. So 17 pound yellow rock, okay, you're with me. And he, he uses it as a, as a doorstop, okay? For three stinking years, it sits on the floor as a doorstop until a jeweler comes by and recognizes the rock as what? As gold. I don't know if you can call a 17 pound rock a gold nugget, but apparently that's what they're calling it. So, so here's what the jeweler says to John, the, the dad. He says, all right, this, this is gold. Name your price and I'll, and I'll give it to you. So John thinks for a minute and he thinks of a number that he thinks is, is, is a high number. It was, it was at least a week's worth of pay at the time. And so he says, I'll take $3.50. $3.50. So the man said, sure. <laughs> Gives him $3.50. He takes the gold. Obviously, they, they, they've realized the gold actually was worth $4,000. And so he got ripped off and, and um, you know, that's what you get for skipping church, okay? <laughs> just know that, you know, it's just going to happen. You got to come. It's just part of it. I'm <laughs> just kidding. So, so here's the deal. My, my point in sharing that story is John Reed, he, he, he didn't understand the value of what he had. He didn't understand the value. And so he, he used it as a doorstop. And he sold it for pennies. Why? Because he didn't understand what he had. He didn't understand the value of this precious metal. Now listen, here's the deal with Christianity today in our culture. So much entertainment, so many things taking our focus off. What we're doing is we have lost the concept of how valuable the breath of God is. We've lost the, the concept of how valuable and precious God's word is for us. It, it is the very word of God. It transforms us. It changes us. And I'm praying that God would give us a hunger here, that God would give us an, an, just an overwhelming energy to dive into his word, to, to soak up his truth, to understand who he is, because it's nourishment for my soul, man. It gives me energy for the day. It pumps me up for the hard times in my life, and it encourages me and the down parts of my life, but it helps me to stay on a focused path. The Bible says that God's word is a lamp unto my feet, light into my path. So he, he is showing me where to walk and how to walk and, and how not to get confused and, and off track into the junk of the world that's just going to cause me pain and, and, and dishonor him. And, and he says, follow my word, have a hunger for my word. This, guys, is the most valuable thing that any one of us can ever own. It is God's word. And man, we gotta understand how valuable it is. We gotta run to it, we gotta soak it up. And so my challenge for you today, um, for the next three weeks, for 21 days, is to get into God's word. For 21 days, and so here's how we're gonna do it. Here's how I'm gonna make it easy. Go to our website, fiddleschurch.com word. And on that page, there's some great videos about how to study God's word. Um, next week, I'm gonna dive into a very practical way that, that can explain how you can actually read the Bible and get something from it. And uh, it's, it's an easy four-step process that just asks some questions. We're gonna dive into it. We got a card we're gonna give to everybody next week. 
Um, but also on the, that page is a 21-day devotion. And uh, the, the devotion is linked to um, the YouVersion Bible app. And so how many of you guys have the YouVersion Bible app? Anybody? Awesome, a lot of of folks. If you don't have it, the link on our page will send you to it. You can actually read this on your computer. You can download the app. It's all for free, by the way, on any of your devices, uh, on your smartphone, those kinds of things. And so there there are four different links to a 21-day devotion. There's a family devotion guide that you could do with your kids and your whole family. Um, there's, there's one that's just a great um, uh, diving into who Jesus is. Um, there, there's a couple, there's one for teenagers. So if you're a student and you want to dive into that, you can have that one. Um, there, there's four different ones. So go check them out, take a look at them. Um, you want to read your own Bible? Awesome. Read your Bible. Let that be your guide as you're following it and uh, you're, you're jumping into it. Now listen, 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day. Can we give God 10 minutes a day? Here's the deal. We're busy, we got stuff to do, but 10 minutes, I mean, that's just not watching another you know, rerun of Seinfeld this week, right? Just like not watch the one millionth Seinfeld episode that we've all seen before. There's nobody else watching. Okay, it's just me. But anyway, it's just 10 minutes out of your day that you could just give to God and read his, his word and it will transform you. Now, here's the deal. Here's what we've, we've learned about habits over the last few months and, and you can't just do it on your own. You got to do it with a friend. So here's the cool thing about the app. The app will actually um, connect you uh, with other friends. So you can, there's a little button that says find friends. And so you find your friends and um, you you do this with your your, your spouse. You do this with your kids. You do this with people in your small group, just a friend at work. Um, They don't even have to go to church here. Just say, hey, let's do this with me and let's dive into it. And then it it basically tells you when they read and when, when they didn't read. And so you're telling them when you read and when you didn't read. And so there's that level of accountability and you're doing it together and you're talking about it. Um, and, and I believe here's, here's the value of doing this. It will change your life for the better. There's no question. There is no question. Now, how, how, many, of, how many people could say, if you read this, it will change your life? No question, 100%. There's no other motivational speaker or author in the world that can say that other than God himself. So that's my encouragement for you. Go home, dive into that. By the way, John Reed found thousands of gold nuggets on his property. So, I mean, don't feel bad for him. He, he, he got wealthy. Um, but here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna get wealthy spiritually by diving into God's word. Oh, foothillschurch.com slash word. Go home and plug that in. Uh, if you're app illiterate, Stop by the Connect Center. They'll show you how to do it. They'll show you the pages online. They'll they'll show you what it looks like and they can help you get there. We love you guys. Let me pray. We'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Lord, we're praying for a hunger and a desire. When you speak, man, we are wrecked. We are changed and we wanna be changed. We wanna know your truth. Wake us up, God, to, to your truth. Wake us up to the power that is in this book. It is the very words of life for us, Lord. And and we sometimes lose the value and significance of this book. And so we are praying, God, that you would give us a hunger, give us a thirst for your word. Help us to run to it this week. I pray that this app will help us. I pray that this 21-day reading plan would help us and focus us. And and God, I'm praying that we just wouldn't think this a a good idea, that we would actually do it. And Lord, we're expecting you to change us and, 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 and bless us as a result. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.